Good morning. Happy cold Sabbath. People around the world don't believe we get cold in Florida, but we do. <laughs> I'm so glad you all braved the weather and came this morning. And uh, I just want to say how grateful I am that you are here and welcome. And for those of you that are watching online, I'm so glad you're here. Mom, Dad, I love you. And uh, so glad. If those of you that are watching online ever want to feel a more tangible connection with us, you'd like a visitation, either from a pastor or our visitation committee, please reach out, either online or call us at the church office. We want to be sure you know that we consider you part of this group. So, before we get started, I want to start with an ad. Laura Santos is a PhD at Yale University. She teaches a course called Happiness Lab, and the very first time that this course was offered, one-fourth of the student population signed up for her class. Now, I've taught before. I've never had one-fourth of the entire student population sign up for my class. This is pretty, pretty cool. She extended that to a podcast called The Happiness Lab because her message has been so popular. And I want to read you one small quote from an interview that she did in the New York Times, uh, February 18, 2022. And this is what she said. There's evidence that cultural structures, religious structures, even smaller groups like your CrossFit team can cause true behavior change. If you can get yourself to do it, you will be happier. It is just much easier if you have a cultural apparatus around you. This is my invitation to you to remind you to please join a small group. We have so many groups here. We have our life groups. We have support groups. We have Sabbath school classes. Uh, Jeremy offers so many opportunities through music to play bells, to sing, join small groups of music, and please consider joining it will lead you on that pursuit of happiness because to be honest, pursuing happiness is a myth. We don't pursue happiness. Happiness is a byproduct of the choices we make and the actions that we do. So let one of your actions be to join a small group. When Gary and I first got married, he worked at McKee Baking Company as a mechanic. And one of the things that we would do, since our budget was extremely limited, on Saturday night, date night, we would go to Sears at the mall there at Hamilton Place and we would hang out in the craftsman tool department. Yay! <laughs> Being a mechanic, he was always looking for a better tool, a better thing to add, and I'm telling you, he had a lot of tools. And I told him one time, I said, how come I don't have a toolbox? He goes, well, we can get you a toolbox. He goes, go pick out your toolbox. So I went and I picked out a little toolbox that I liked. He says, what do you want to go in it? I said, I want a hammer. I want a hammer. I want to hang things. I want to do stuff. I want a screwdriver. So he says, okay, go pick out the one you want. So I perused the entire craftsman section at Sears and this is the hammer I chose. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. This really isn't a hammer. Uh, maybe a tapper? I don't know. Maybe a tink-tink? Maybe I should call that my tink-tink? 
I realized really quickly that that really, even though we have used this many, 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 many times, I realized I wanted a better hammer and a better set of tools in my toolbox. So since then, as time has gone by, I have gotten a bigger toolbox and I have more tools in my toolbox. And just to be true to the aesthetics of the person that chose that, all my tools match. They're all the same color. And I like it very much. So it became very clear to me that not all tools are created equally. Not all tools fit the job you have at hand. And the other thing that became abundantly clear to me is that the reason my husband so graciously on our limited budget with no money whatsoever was willing to buy me a toolbox box is because it kept me out of his. <laughs> Isn't that right, honey? <laughs> 2022 was a tough year for my family. We had a lot of life changes that happened, and I know it was for a lot of people. It seemed every corner you went around, we were saying goodbye to somebody else. And there are tools that I learned were more important to me that fit my needs in the moment, and I want to share those with you today. So as you're coming into 2023, maybe there are tools that you can take with you that will help you make choices that bring happiness into your life. So before we do that, let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for this Sabbath day, for everyone that is here. Please be with us now as we dive into, into tools that can help us manage life. And Father, most importantly, I pray, as I always do, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, the things that are presented here, will not only be pleasing to you, but they will bring, bring honor to your name. Thank you, Father. Amen. Philippians 4.8 says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. When I first read this verse as a teenager, the thought that came to mind for me was, oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. That's where I went. Oh, man, I got to guard, got to guard, got to be. And as time has come on, I've gained a little bit of a different perspective to what this verse might mean. So let me give you an illustration that might bring that home. Stick your fingers up in the air. And I want you to make a circle going clockwise. Now, for those of you that are digital, that's to your right. <laughs> Go a circle going clockwise. Put it up above your head. Watch this circle. Now, I want you to bring it down really slowly. What direction is that going now? What direction? Is it not working? You start out clockwise. When you look at it from this direction, when you bring it down, you are going counterclockwise. What changed? Your perspective changed. You look at it from this way, it's one. You look at it from this way, it's another. This verse let me realize that I was empowered. It's not an admonition, it's an empowerment. You can choose what you think. You can choose where your brain goes. 
And I don't know that I have always felt that way. I think often I've felt a victim. And I've heard people say it. Oh, this must be the devil. The devil's making me do this. We are not victims to Satan. We are victorious because we have a victorious God. So I changed my perspective. Now there's another verse, Romans 12:2, and it says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. My mind can be renewed, what? Really? I don't have to believe something because my certitude has told me it is true. Can I test it and test my perspective and test my understanding of it? Let me give you an example. When Gary and I came out of self-supporting work, we were at uh, Laura Brook Academy in Dayton, Tennessee, and we went up to Maryland. Well, sometimes when you come out of self-supporting work, it takes a little while to get your feet under you. And it did for us. And so we ended up living with his parents for a, a certain amount of time. And those of you that have lived with your parents or those of you that have had your children move in with you, especially woman to woman, it's hard to have two cooks in the kitchen. It's hard to have two masters of the laundry room. It's difficult to, for both people to decide what cleanliness is and all that kind of stuff. For us, for my mother-in-law, the hitch came with the dryer. And I would do laundry and go and do my stuff and then she would go do her laundry. Now my mother-in-law was a, was a quiet woman. Um, and, and by quiet, I don't mean she was shy. I mean she, that when she spoke, it was purposeful. And, but she wasn't the kind of person that wanted to come up front and, well, she liked to avoid conflict. Let's put it that way. So. My mother-in-law went to my father-in-law, my father-in-law went to my husband, and my husband came to me. Please tell Candy to clean the lint trap in the dryer. Now, my mom taught me very specific ways to do laundry. She taught me how to iron my brother's shirt, and when I put him on the hanger, I had to do the top button. I had to put it this way, I had to do it that way. When it came to doing laundry, you did this, you did that, and you always cleaned the lint trap, always always. So I'm like, I am cleaning the lint trap. Laundry day came and went, laundry day came and went, a couple weeks went by, and I walk into the laundry room, and there's a note taped to the lint trap. Please clean the lint trap. Well, I'm a little mystified because I do clean the lint trap. Every time I clean the lint trap, I don't understand. I talk to my husband, he says, honey, just clean the lint trap you know, please. All right, okay. A couple more weeks went by. My mother-in-law tells my father-in-law, my father-in-law tells my husband, and my husband tells me, please. And actually, I think we were past the police at that point. We registered the clean the lint trap. It was after my mother-in-law had died, and I'm so sorry that we did not have, have this discussion before she passed away, but after she died, I was sitting at the breakfast table with my sisters-in-law, and we were talking about <clears throat> all of the things that our mothers had taught us were the right way to do it. And my sister-in-law said, yeah, she said, my mom was, was, you know, so adamant that as soon as you pulled the clothes out of the dryer, you cleaned the lint trap. And I'm like, wait, what? 
Well, yeah, yeah, you always clean the lint trap. As soon as the laundry's done, you open the lint trap and you clean it. And you do that after you take the clothes out so that the lint doesn't get on the clothes. And I'm like, back the truck up. My mom taught me that you clean the lint trap before you put the clothes in the dryer. It was a difference of perspective. I always cleaned the lint trap, and might I say that it was always already nicely clean? <laughs> perspective. How does that change when we look at how things could be a different way? The next thing that I want to share with you is discerning what you can control. There are two things that cause anxiety in life that are mainly responsible for it. And one is resisting the situation that you're in, and that's easy to do. And the other one is trying to control something that is out of your control. So let me show this diagram to you and I explain it a little bit better. If life were a target, the smallest portion of that would be the things that are in your control. The next circle out of that are the things that you can influence, but you still cannot control. And the wider circle to the other end of it, all around it, those are things that are completely out of your control. It's within my control to uh, choose the topics of conversation that I want to present where political topics are concerned. Now, I can choose what I believe, and I can choose what I share, and I can influence my friends, but I cannot control them. And beyond that, I can't control the political world at all. I can vote. That's within my control. You see what I'm saying? So you look at it, the things you can control can influence, and the things that are out of your control, everything except that little center part Every time I think about it, I hear Blake Shelton's voice in my head singing, that's God's country. <laughs> because it is. That is God's to deal with, not mine. This is mine. <clears throat> there is a book written by Richard Carlson. It's called Easier Than You Think. You might know him from the book that he wrote called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. Um, <clears throat> This is a quote from it, and I apologize. I just found out that my font is too small, so if you can't see it, I apologize. I'll read slowly. Remind yourself that your thoughts are just thoughts. Just as a check is worthless without your signature, your thoughts cannot harm you without your consent. But if you remember that they are just thoughts and nothing else, you will be able to dismiss them or at the very least give them less significance. Once you are no longer afraid of your thinking, transformation in your heart and mind will amaze you. Although this is such a small change in perception, if taken to heart, the results can truly change your life. A thought is just a thought. Ethan Cross is a, another author, and he wrote a book called Chatter, The Voice in Our Head, Why It Matters, and How to Harness It. <clears throat> and this is what he says. 
It's really useful to distinguish between what we have control over and what we don't. Do we have control over the thoughts that pop in our heads at different moments in our life? I know of no evidence that suggests that we can precisely control that experience. But the flip side to it is that once the thought is activated, then we have enormous control. We can open up our toolbox at that point in time, and we can push that thought around in all sorts of ways. We can amplify it, we can hold on to it, we can keep it going. We can minimize it, we can transform it, and we can replace it with other thoughts. Wow, I have the power to choose. It is within my control. I love to play games. Uh, Before the pandemic, my favorite game was a game called Pandemic, and it's a board game, it was a group game, and no one individual person won. You either won against the pandemic, or you lost. I don't play that game anymore. (laughs) Ah, no. No, 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 no. But I do love to play games. And and especially in groups, I I love it. So my friend, Jackie Curran, invited me and Valerie Haka and two other ladies from the neighborhood over to play games one night. We decided to play Rummy Cube. And we had a blast. Now, I do have to tell you a little bit. uh, I like things neat. And when we play Rummy Cube, All of my little cubes are color-coordinated, and they're numerically correct, and they're on my little tray. And any time we have them out on the table, I have a tendency to reach over and straighten the tiles, put them in nice little groupings, and, you know, all of the matches go this way, and all of the runs go this way. That's, I, I never win, but I have a nice board, so, so it goes. And the ladies noticed that I was very quietly, while they were figuring out where their tiles went, I was very quietly, you know, straightening the tiles. And it became a a, a joke. It became something that they teased me about. So much so that when one of them would put their tiles down, you know, their hands suddenly became very clumsy and would bump all the other tiles and they would scatter and then I would like, So at one point, I'm sitting on my hands because I don't want to straighten the tiles. And I'm thinking to myself, I really, I, I really want to straighten those tiles, but I don't think that I should, because if I straighten those tiles, it's really going to annoy everybody. And if it annoys everybody, they're not going to want to play with me anymore. And in fact, they might even play games behind my back and not invite me, because I'm so obnoxious and annoying at this. And if they don't invite me to come play with them, I'm not going to have any friends. And if I don't have any friends, I'm a loser. And if I'm a loser, my husband's going to divorce me. And if my husband divorces me, I'm going to die a lonely old woman. And who's going to take care of my dog? A millisecond. That thought pattern was a millisecond. When in reality, I had certain things that I could control. One was to be present in the game, to breathe. I could arrange the tiles, or I could choose not to arrange the tiles, or I could go home and sit with my dog. I had lots of choices. None of them were the ones that were in my head because all of those things were things I could not control. That was 
God's country, not mine. <clears throat> so what are some of the things you can control? There's a verse in the Bible, and it's, it's 2 Chronicles 20:17, and I want to read it to you from the message because I really like the words that he chooses. He says, don't be afraid. Don't pay any attention to this vandal horde. Oh my goodness, if that rabbit hole of thoughts wasn't a vandal horde, I don't know what was. This is God's war, not yours. Tomorrow you'll go after them. You won't have to lift a hand in this battle. Just stand firm and watch God's saving work for you to take shape. Don't be afraid, don't waver, march out boldly tomorrow, God is with you. If you've read this in the NIV and New King James Version, you know it very clearly. The battle is not yours, says the Lord. Yours is but to be still. We control what we can control. The rest is God's country. So what things can we control? We can stop and breathe. We can choose other thoughts. We can join a small group. Now maybe I need to join a small group where everybody keeps the tiles straight. I don't know. I don't think so. I like my group. We need to exercise. You can choose to get out and exercise and, and pay attention to the surroundings that you're in. Pay attention to how many birds are singing. How many colors do you see? Anything that gives your brain a break from the chatter that is going on. You can seek counsel from a wise person. You can recognize what you can do, and you can do it. And you can choose to have a perspective of gratitude even when it feels like you're manufacturing it. Watch your perspective and discern what you can control. And that leads me to the last one, gratitude. Now, there are so many verses in the Bible that have to do with gratitude. And I, I, your homework assignment, if I were able to give one, would be to encourage you to go home and search. What does the scripture say about gratitude? Here's just a few. Ephesians 5.20 says, always give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances. Psalm 118.24, rejoice today and be glad. Colossians 3.15, be thankful. Psalm 107.1, thanks for a steadfast God. 1 Thessalonians 5.16-18, rejoice and give thanks in all circumstances. Because the truth of the matter is, Gratitude can change us. So let's look at the definition of gratitude. Gratitude, which rhymes with attitude, comes from the Latin word gratis, which means thankful and pleasing. So how do we find this attitude of gratitude? How do we do that? I mean, the Bible verses are there, and, and, and it is an admonition often rather than an empowerment. So how do we switch it around so it's an empowerment? Well, let's see how this little girl did it. Take another deep breath. Take a deep breath. Are you okay? Yeah. Okay, look at mommy. Look at mama. I know you smashed your fingers in the door, didn't you? Yeah. Okay, take a deep breath. Okay, are you okay? 
Yeah. Okay. Look at mommy. Uh, Say I'm okay. I will get it. Say I'm strong. I'm strong. Say I'm beautiful. I'm beautiful. Say I'm loved. I love. <laughs> Say I'm worthy. I'm ready. You're beautiful. Thank you, mom. You're welcome, baby. I love you. This sweet little thing caught her hand in the door, and even when the pain of it tried to pull her attention back, she did some wonderful things. She stopped and took a couple deep breaths. She went to someone to seek counsel that she knew could help her. While she was there, her mom was able to help her choose her thoughts and choose where she wanted to be, and that led her to a moment of intense gratitude. Thank you, Mommy. That's, uh, that's just a beautiful example. The book Balcony People um, is a really, really good book. It's a short read. And in this book, the author, and I need to read her name because it's a, a longer name, Joyce Landorf Heatherly. Joyce talks about two types of people. There are evaluators and there are affirmers. Evaluators she calls basement people. Affirmers she calls balcony people. Because you see, evaluators are the people that go through life judging. They resist their situation and they judge and oftentimes pull us to the basement. And then there's, there are those people who affirm us, those people who are full of gratitude and they're our cheerleaders. And when we talk with them and listen to them and surround ourselves with them, we're pulled up to the balcony. Oh, balcony. See, it makes a difference. And I started thinking about this and I thought, what if we applied that concept to life in general? And it became clear to me that when we are not sitting in gratitude, we are sitting in judgment. When we are not sitting in gratitude and gratefulness, we are judging and resisting the situation that we are in. And all that does is draw us down. Some of you know uh, that my brother died on August the 7th. My brother was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia in June. And <clears throat> his disease accelerated very quickly. He went and spent a month at Moffitt Cancer Center, and while he was there, he did not want to take the cancer treatments, and his family really encouraged him to see it through. I couldn't go see him because they limited who he could see because his immune system was so depleted. And so we would FaceTime back and forth and encourage him and encourage my sister-in-law and encourage my niece as they helped him battle this disease. He was released from Moffitt, and he was very close to remission. And unfortunately, leaving the hospital, he fell and hit his head on a curb, and he died within a day and a half. Now, we thought we were gonna have nine months to a year with him, and we were already planning what that time was gonna look like, how we were gonna fill it, how we were gonna sit and listen to him. My brother was, my brother pontificated especially about subjects that were very, very, very precious to him. 
And we would love, we always learned, you always learned something when you sat with my brother. Um, he could not look at anything without recreating it. The tech came in to put the heart monitor on him and it was so uncomfortable. My brother scoured, now keep in mind, he's taking chemo, has cancer, can't leave the room. He scoured the room until he found parts and pieces of different things that he scavenged to create a halter that wasn't uncomfortable. And when the tech came in, he said, this is amazing. I've never seen anything like this. I'm gonna do this with all my patients. And I told my brother, I said, Bubby, you just made him a millionaire. <laughs> this guy is gonna benefit from this. <laughs> So after my brother died, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I have to help my parents who are 96 and 99. I have to help them cope with this loss. I can't just grieve on my own. I, I, I have to hold them up too. How do I do that? And so I went to my toolbox. Okay, perspective. What can I change about my perspective? There was not one single thing I could change about my perspective. Not one. I mean, a death is a death. It's irrevocable. It is there, what do you do? So I'm sitting there thinking, this is a tink tink when I need a hammer. This isn't working. So I went to the next thing, which was what can I control? And I realized that the only thing I could control in this effort to help my parents grieve my brother's loss is create an environment where the family could come to them. So I contacted all of my cousins, and I have three sets of cousins. I have the cousins on the cruise side, my mother's a cruise. I have the cousins on the graves side because my dad is a graves. And I have, a cousins, I have cousins that have come from a relationship that my dad had with three other people, four other people in high school at Fletcher Academy. The Mullinaxes, the Graves, and the Castines. We call ourselves the Mulla Gravesteins. And they're closer to me. I grew up with them more intricately woven in my life than I did my biological cousins. So I contacted all of my cousins and invited all of them and said, from Friday at this time until this time after the service on Sunday, our house is open. You can come eat. You can visit. You can stay. You can do whatever you want. Just come be. And I was standing on the back porch looking out in the yard, and there's 40 people that I love. And I realized the cruises didn't know the graves. And neither one of them knew the Mola Gravesteins. So here I had these three integral parts of my life that didn't know each other. And I watched over the weekend as they all just became one group of people that lifted my parents up that were there to celebrate my brother, that brought us stories that we laughed and laughed and laughed of memories of things that we had all done together that my brother was a part of, both of my brothers, because I've lost them both. And I realized standing there that I was having a moment of gratitude. You see, I changed what I could change, and that change brought about a different perspective and that perspective was a perspective of gratitude. Whatever is true, check your perspective. Is it the only one? Are there others? Is it a right one? 
Whatever is noble, whatever is right, is it right because it's within your control? Or are you trying to control something that isn't yours? Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, does it inspire gratitude? Does it inspire affirmation? Choose to think on these things. As 2023 comes, I encourage you, put these in your toolbox and check out what else is in there that you can use.